That is the basis of our lesson this morning. As you think about the song we often sing in our songbooks, I want to make sure I have the right number. It's number 62, uh, Have Thine Own Way. And we think about that idea, and we think about that phrase, have thine own way. We think about what Christ had just said there in verse 39 about uh, the Lord's will being done, and you know, not his will, but the Lord's will uh, being done. And no doubt there's a lot of things we can, we can learn from that phrase and learn from this song that teaches us uh, basically the same idea, allowing God to have his way in our lives. And so I want to show what we can learn from this familiar song. This is a reminder of the fact that songs do teach us things. You think about Colossians 3 and verse 16, we actually find there that reminder, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, sing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And that's what any sound song will do, any biblically-based song will do. It will teach us things. And here with this song, it is not any different as we think about how that phrase, just that title of that song, Have Thine Own Way, what that means uh, for us. And so we're going to be going through uh, basically using that song for our main points here uh, today. And if you remember there in verse 1, you find the idea there in verse 1 of that song of uh, being the potter and the clay. If you think about what that means, we know the potter is, is the individual who is actually shaping that clay. Whatever they do, they put that lump of clay on that table, it, they make it, they pump the pedals and start to spin, and when whatever... However, they touch that clay, it begins to move and be shaped based upon the touch of that potter. It will begin to be shaped to do whatever design or whatever container they would like for it to be. When you think about that in our spiritual, in our lives today, whenever we allow God, by our obedience to his word, to shape our lives, we too are going to change. Just as the potter touches the clay and it, it changes so does so do we change when we allow God through His Word to touch us and shape us and mold us into what we ought to be. For that reason, God is the potter, and we are the faithful follower. We are the clay today. If you remember back in Genesis chapter one, looking at verse twenty-six, we are told that we are made in His image. That is, we are made. We are made in His likeness, as He goes on to say there in verse twenty-six of Genesis chapter one. And so we are that clay. But think about this for a moment. You remember the jars of Play-Doh, what would happen if you left the lid off and it dried out? You had to either do something, either add something to it to make it more pliable and bring it back to life, or you have to just throw it all away, right? Because it would get hard and crusty and where you couldn't actually even use it. If the clay for a potter was to become unusable. It became in such disarray that he could no longer shape it to mold it into what he wants it to be. What would he do with that? He'd get rid of it, wouldn't he? He would find a new lump of clay which, he, which allows him to mold it and shape it according to his will. Well, we today as followers of God must be those who are easily uh, molded to God's word. We have to be moldable. We're those who have to be humble enough to change when needed. 
clay that cannot be shaped or molded or formed to the proper shape of the potter or the potter's desire, well, then the potter will discard that clay. You think about how there in Matthew, when Christ talks about the Christian being the salt of the earth, remember what happens when Christ says, you know, what, what good is the salt if it loses its, its flavor? He says it's worth, worth nothing, right? To be cast out and trampled on foot by men. Well, a person who's only allowing themselves to be shaped and changed by God's word in a spiritual sense, we're not any good to God, are we? So we have to be those who allow ourselves to be shaped and to be changed by the word of God. Again, we're not talking about some miraculous idea. We're talking about reading the Bible, allowing allowing it to be made, uh, uh, allowing it to be applied to our own lives, therefore being shaped by God and his word. And we think about that next phrase you find there in verse 1, that phrase, mold me after your will. We are to be shaped to do God's will, that is to do, to do God's desire. You go back to our key text there in Matthew 26, where Christ talks about there in verse 39, not, not as I will, but as you will. That's the exact idea we're talking about here. Christ wanted the cup to pass from him, not because, I don't believe it's because he was unwilling to save mankind, but because of the extreme painfulness, physically and spiritually and emotionally, all things that went along with it, that was going to be involved in that. But he says in verse 39, it is God's will that has to be done. And we think about our own life today, when changes need to be made, it's rarely easy, is it? It is changes that have to be made in our lives. We're talking about rooting out sin or making ourselves better in accordance to God's word. It's rarely easy. But we have to be those willing to allow ourselves to be shaped to do God's will. We're going to shape our lives around the will of God and around the teachings found in his word. I've been watching one television show in particular where uh, individuals sometimes will use a mold to create things. And they'll, they'll you know... Uh, design it out, cut it out, form it, and they'll pour in that hot liquid and they'll put it inside that mold and they'll leave it in there until it cools and break it apart and it shows it's supposed to be shaped according to that mold, that exact replica. What would happen if they took it out and it didn't look anything like it was supposed to? You think they'd keep that mold around? They'll probably get rid of it, right? Because it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. We are to be molded and changed and shaped around God's word. Look at Psalm 25, looking at verses 4 and 5. He says here, Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. You think about how he mentions here, he uses several words to go right along what we're talking about today. The basically is the idea of shaping him to do God's will. First, he says, show me your way. He showed him what? The mold in which he want me to fit in, right? And then he says, teach me your past and the way of, of changing him. Lead me in your truth. Again, changing him and teach me. All are references to the idea of shaping and forming to fitting that mold that God wants us to fit in, which is a faithful follower of him. And then he says in verse 5, for you are the God of my salvation. He doesn't just say, or say, I want to be formed and shaped and into your truth. He says, why there in verse five, for you are the God. 
singular, right? Of my salvation. You are the one who gives me salvation, who rescues me from sin, rescues him from this dark world which we all live in and have to survive, survive with what's around us. He says, on you I waste all the day. That tells us that his desire is such that he will wait and allow himself to be shaped and molded and curved and formed into what God wants him to be, that loyal, faithful follower of him. Begin to think about those words. Teach me your past. Lead me in your truth and teach me. All is going to be things that make him change. He will not be the same afterwards. Next, we want to notice the second verse of this song, actually verses 2 and 3 here. And we find here in the first part of verse 2, we find that phrase, search me and try me. You think about that, that's a very bold thing to say. We're talking about asking God to search me and try me. You're basically telling God, hey, just look at my life and tell me, and I think in context, tell me what I need to fix. Sometimes if you go to mechanic, and I've done this before with various vehicles over the years, and you know what's doing this and this, tell me what I need to do to fix it. Let's just fix it. Just search it out, find it, and let's solve whatever that problem may be. But here, in a spiritual sense, he's asking God to do the same thing. Search me and try me. Find that weak spot, find that crack, that fault that needs to be corrected. The Father of God wants their lives to be pleasing to God, and examination reveals cracks in our lives. I watch a lot of, uh, there's one show in particular I watch now, and Crystal, I'm talking about, where they're making knives and swords, and they'll examine it very carefully before it ever gets to the final presentation. And if they see cracks, and they see gaps, and all these different little problems that can come up, they will try to fix it, or they'll start all over. They will try to fix it. They never say, well, that's good enough, and leave it. Because it's not going to work. In our lives today, in a spiritual sense, when we find cracks and faults and spaces that need to be repaired, we cannot afford to say, it's good enough. Look at Psalm 139, looking at verses 23 and 24. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my anxieties. And see if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. Again, that's a very bold thing to say. It's a very courageous, a very noble thing to say. Basically, again, he's saying, look at, every, look at my life and tell me where the weaknesses are, and I want to fix them. Because look at verse 24. If there is any wicked way in me, he says, and lead me in the way of everlasting. Now, if he's going to be led in the way of everlasting, doesn't it mean he has to do something about any wicked way that might be found in him? If there's any cracks, faults, chips that need to be repaired, if he's going to be led in the way of everlasting, he has to fill those things in, right? He has to correct those things. He says, search me, O God, and, try, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. He wants God to... Take a closer look. Sometimes if we're not careful, we don't want God to take a closer look because we know there's things in our lives we need to correct. But friends, we can either correct those things or we can ignore them 
And on the day of judgment, we don't we'll find ourselves being those that saying, I wish I didn't, I wish I never said, we'll just hope for the best. We want to make sure we correct and fill in those places. Finding cracks and faults, repairing them now means the Christian will be prepared on the day of judgment. Looking at 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, here the Apostle Paul says, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. I don't believe he's talking about literally trying to tempt yourself to sin. There he is clearly by looking at what the Bible says, compare it to your life, and then fill in and repair what needs to be repaired. He says, do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is, is in you unless you indeed are disqualified? We don't want to be disqualified because we ignore the faults in our lives when we examine ourselves. And also we look next in this song, in the latter part of verse 2, we find the phrase, wash me just now. When we yield to God's word, believe it, we can then move towards God's forgiveness by obedience to his commands, including, including being washed in the blood of the Lamb at baptism. We look at Psalm 51, looking at verse 2 and also verse 7 here. He says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 7, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. This isn't a physical washing he's talking about. He's saying he wants to be made spiritually clean by God. He wants to be cleansed and have any sin or iniquities. He mentions there in verse 2, washed away. He references there in verse 7 some physical ideas by saying, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Hyssop was something that was used when you cleaned someone or, or someone was cleaning themselves. And it's a reference here to a spiritual cleaning. To be whiter than snow means you have no spots or blemish. Do you remember in the Old Testament when they were to bring an offering to God? It was to be without spot or blemish or any such thing, right? It was to be perfect. They couldn't bring in a lamp that had a, that had a gippy leg. They couldn't bring in one that had a spot on the back of its head that nobody could see unless you looked. No, it had to be perfectly spotless. Meaning that God wanted the absolute best that you have because we know we should in reality that that's what God deserves. He doesn't deserve less than the very best because we know in reality that God has definitely given us the very best. And so what does he want from us? He wants us to give him the very best. And that means that when we fall short, we correct it. You look at 1 Corinthians 6, looking at verses 9 through 11. Here we find here again the words of the Apostle Paul. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And he begins to list all these different types of, of sinners, different types of acts and things that people are, are, are doing and being involved in. And then he says there in verse 10, he says, "Well, They will not inherit the kingdom of God. He lists all those different types of activities. All those wicked things, and they're not, it's not a complete list. But then look, look what he says in verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God, which means something had changed. They saw the cracks in their lives, didn't they? They saw if these things, they're more than just cracks, they're pits, right? They're things that they had to remove and completely get out of their life. All these wicked types of activities and actions which they were involved in. And he says in verse 11, 
Such were some of you, but means there was a change there. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus, Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And so what did they do when they examined their lives? They removed those simple actions from their, from their life. They're, those things were no longer a part of who they are. Looking also at the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. He says here, Then, then one of the elders answered and saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where do they come from? And he said, and I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation, or great persecution, and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. How do they make their robes white? By being washed in the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb is a reference to the blood of Christ. Their robes is a reference to their lives. And it made them white. It made them pure by being, by being what? By being baptized in the blood of Christ. Figuratively, at baptism, we are, we are becoming in contact with the blood of Christ. And our sins are washed away. Therefore, their robes, their lives are made white in the blood of the Lamb. There in verse 14. So we must do as well if we have sinned in our life. If we are not a Christian, if we are a Christian, we can repent of those things, confess those things to God. <coughs> verse 3. I kind of summarize here in verse 3 because we looked at, verse 3 reminds us a little bit of verse 1. We find two phrases there. You are, all my, you are over all my being and Christ living in me. So this first section of verse 3 reminds us of the latter section of verse 1, the idea of Christ uh, and God having their will in our lives. Whereas the latter part here, this phrase, Christ living in me, is what we want to focus on. And it reminds us of the words of Paul in Galatians 2 and verse 20, when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And what does that song say? Christ living in me, right? In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. He loved me and gave himself for me. So Christ lives in him. It's longer he who lives, but Christ lives in him. And what happens? He mentions there next in verse 20 how he has molded his life after God's pattern. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. That is a reference to his life being molded after God's will. I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Some lessons for us today. We think about this song, Have Thine Own Way. We have to also want to be very careful and think about, first of all, what this does not mean. Have Thine Own Way, what, what it does not mean. It is not calling upon God to act in our lives in some miraculous way. When we say we want God to have his way in our life, we're not saying, God, speak to me and literally lead me by the hand and tell me what I need to do. God has told us what we need to do. He guides us through his word. So we're not talking about some miraculous way. Neither does this song that we sing. It is not molding God's word to fit our way of living. We may not have thine own way. Some people say, well, we want God to have his way, but we want it to be really our way. Instead of molding their lives around the Word of God, they want the Word of God to mold itself around their lives. It's that way the Word of God does a changing and not them. Well, that's not what we're talking about. 
Being allowed to have his to have his way in our life means total submission to his word. We think about something else for us to remember today. Benefits of God's will being carried out in our lives. When God's will is carried out in our lives, it's because we are following his word. So if we are allowing God's will to, to direct us through his word, that means we are following his word. You cannot follow God's word and not be following his will and being molded to his what to his way for us to be living. And you cannot be following God's will without following God's word. And so one of the benefits of God's will being carried out in our lives is knowing that you are following God's word. And those who follow God, follow his word, are obedient, are obedient. And the Bible tells us that blessings abound for the obedient and for those who are in Christ. Ephesians 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So when we allow ourselves to be molded and to follow God's will and follow his word, we will have blessings that come from him. And as we close this morning, I want us to think about one last section of scripture here, and that's from Psalm 25. In Psalm 25, looking at verse 20 and 21, here the psalmist says, Keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for, I'll, for I put my trust in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. This idea of waiting for God is the very clearly, at least to me, the idea that he's going to do what God wants him to do and nothing else. He's going to follow God's word and nothing else. But also notice here in verse 20, he says, keep my soul and deliver me. He wants God to be in complete control of his life. Again, we're not talking about in a miraculous way. We need to understand today that God keeping our soul, delivering us, is through his word. By our obedience to his word, he will keep our soul. And we will be delivered uh, to be able to have heaven as our home one day. And he says, let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me. That is the way of righteousness, isn't it? Integrity and uprightness. To preserve him means it will see him through. Living a life that's pleasing God will see him through. And then he finishes by saying, for I wait for you. We want to be those who wait for God. We want to be those who allow our lives to be molded according to his word so that we can honestly say when we pray to God, have your own way, which means do in my life through your word as you will. Allowing God's word to guide us, to guard us, and to direct us. And show us, as long as we are faithful, the way to heaven one day. This morning, as you think about these things, we think about this idea and this song, Have Thine Own Way. You know, we sing many songs, and sometimes we're not careful. We can kind of forget about some of those words and what they mean. Well, I oftentimes think about this song, Have Thine Own Way, and I think about another song that we sing so many times, Give Me the Bible, another great song that teaches us so much, reminds us, again, of good, sound, solid, biblical teaching. But friends, we want to have God, allow God to have his own way in our lives. We have to be those who first allow ourselves to follow his word 
And when we do that, he will have his way in your life. This morning, we can help you or assist you in any way. We'd be glad to do so. That's going to be said and sing the song that's been selected.